Play Mets fan. Welcome to episode 290 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us this week, where Chris McShane and I will start off our show by talking about the Yoanna Cespedes situation, the Jay Reese Familia situation, and uh, kind of scattered shot talk about various Mets that might be traded, answer some emails, and uh, generally bitch and moan about the Wolfons. Here we go. Well, Chris, the Mets are going to have the rest of their season without Yolanda Cespedes uh, this weekend. Cespedes came back, played in one game, hit a home run, looked fine, and then all of a sudden was uh, not playing anymore. And the heel issue that has been plaguing him for some time, surprise, surprise, kept plaguing him. Uh, This is an incredibly frustrating situation for a multitude of reasons, uh, mainly because Cespedes has been on the DL for months now. And the surgery cannot be all new information. And the fact that he wasn't operated upon months ago when he'd be back for the entirety of next season, if that was done, you know, that would have been much, much better than the situation we find ourselves in now, which is that we don't really know when he's coming back. We hope he's coming back, you know, sometime around uh, April or May of next year, but we really don't know. The recovery time on these things is always a crapshoot. And um, the Mets seem to have botched this, well, I guess just about as badly as they botch everything else. Um, on a scale of of, uh, of of being, you know, Kermit the Frog drinking your tea thinking it's not your problem versus to, like, screaming and pulling your hair out, where do you feel, where do you fall on the uh, frustration meter here? Uh, <laughs> closer to the screaming and pulling out of the hair. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, I just, it's, you know, what are they doing? Uh, I have a hard time kind of putting it any, any other way than that. But, you know, they went out, they did a half-hour TV special saying that, you know, the new dude who has faded back into the shadows completely <laughs> since they did this TV spot. But they dedicated a show on their own network to to spending the better part of the 22 minutes with him Sandy Alderson and Mike Barwis talking about how everything's going to be great and we've figured out health and we're bringing in this new guy and we're going to do things differently. And then they have their best position player, objectively speaking, um, you know, go through this situation where his legs act up. They haven't played through it. They haven't played through it. He goes on the DL. They start questioning, you know, whether or not he's, uh, not actually hurt, but whether, you know, just, just how bad it is. And, you know, you have these, the word offhand... like babying was thrown out there and, uh, you know, uh, milking it and et-, et cetera. Yeah. And I mean, this is something maybe that we end up even doing, but I'd, I'd love to comb through, you know, all of the post game presser quotes or pregame, uh, from Callaway about like, Oh, you know, playing, playing through, playing through, uh, you know, it's just they've laid the groundwork and then recently amped it up to question the injury. And it, the team itself admits that they've known this is a condition he's had for a long time. And and used words like chronic and ongoing. Right. So, you know, it, it's just uh, of all the things they've tried to sell to their fans, their customers, to the rest of the game of baseball, this new approach to health 
seems to be just complete bullshit. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I mean, it, on Cespedes side, good for him. You know, it, it's something Allison wrote about, uh, you know, the sort of familiarity of this from when Carlos Beltran had a serious injury and needed surgery that the team did not want him to get. And that got even uglier because he got it. And then they accused him of not, you know, sticking to his contract and keeping the team involved in that decision. Uh, so at least we're at a point where I am sure we will still hear plenty of leaks of little things of what Cespedes did wrong and, you know, why he's evil and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm sure it's not going to end well because this is just what the Mets do. Uh, you know, even just offhand little stuff, little references. Uh, you know, you, you've seen people refer to him as, oh, the Mets $110 million man. Like, yeah, he earned a market a, rate contract. I was going to say a reasonable contract that nobody should be batting an eye about. Right. He earned a market rate contract. Everybody was thrilled that they re-signed him. On multiple occasions, because of the you know intricacies of his contract uh, at the time they traded for him, and then you know after they re-signed him for the first time, so you, you can't then go like, oh, look at this guy making all this money. He's hurt. That that's it's just completely unfair. So yeah, that's where we are. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but, no, but my patience has worn completely <laughs> thin for this stuff now. But what's even more frustrating is. If you want to complain about the Mets overpaying for an injured player, Jay fucking Bruce is right there. <laughs> like, you know, there is a much better example of the Mets overpaying for a an injury for a player that's out because of injury. It's right there in front of you, and you're mad at Cespedes? I don't get it. I, I try and not be the guy who throws around words like racist or bigoted or whatever, but if he was if Cespedes was born in Maryland, this wouldn't half of these things wouldn't be said. I really yeah. believe that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with that, really. Um, you know, and you, you see, I mean, there's just a double standard in baseball, uh, generally, with with you know, when it comes to players of different different backgrounds and how they're treated. You know, you saw some of it. Uh, and I understand that, you know, and we're not a Yankees podcast, but I understand that Gary Sanchez is a player who has legitimate issues on the field, but you know, you saw him get hurt and, and an uproar of people about him using a translator, you know, there's just a certain thing there that some players have to deal with and some don't. And that makes no sense. Being mad about a translator makes absolutely no sense. Right. Would you rather him stumble through an interview? Would you rather him not talk to the press? That seems to be the biggest offender for people. So if he's not going to translate, have a translator, then do you want him not to talk to the press? It's, uh... Yeah. I don't but understand yeah, it. So, you know, I guess if I'm trying to look at the, uh, the upside of, of bad news... It's that Cespedes is getting the surgery. You know, I don't know how long uh, it's been on the table as a possibility, but certainly with where the Mets are in July 2018, 
there's no sense in trying to do the rest and rehab and play through it and play five games and go back on the DL and come back. You know, let's see if this works. So at least the the end game was for now that he gets the surgery and attempts to recover from it and comes back, uh, you know, 100% not having to worry about day-to-day leg stuff. Uh, you know, and there's a there's a chance that that never even comes close to happening, but at least we're here. And again, the Mets will throw him under the bus plenty over the time of, <laughs> of the recovery. So like the, that's not going to change. But, uh, you know, from afar, based on the evidence we have in front of us as not doctors, it just seems like the overall decision was correct at this point in time. It was probably incorrect for the last several months, if not longer, but, you know, presented with the information because the way it all plays out, I would assume, you know, he's not an idiot. Nobody who's in, who's at that level is an idiot when it comes to things like this. I assume he said it to the press as his way of forcing the issue. Yeah. I assume it came up at least in the weeks, if not months before that, and was shot down by the team over and over again. And he brought it up to say, look, I've been working really hard. I hate seeing people say, you know, that I'm not working. All I want to do is play, but I have this stuff with my heels and it might require this surgery. And then to have how on earth does Mickey Calloway go out there the next day and be like, oh, I don't know what he said. Like, has anybody ever lied more clearly in baseball than that line? <laughs> there's not there's not a, a, a he doesn't get an email with a summary of the quotes that his players said every night. I mean, maybe that doesn't happen, but like it's the most simple thing. He doesn't get clips on the, <laughs> or just go to any of the outlets that cover his team once between the time that happens and the next day. There is no way that he didn't know what he said. And then when he tried to walk it back, it was just, you know, not- oh, no, I, I, I misspoke. You clearly said I had, don't know what he said. So there, you didn't misspeak. You lied. Even if, even if there's not somebody whose job it is to collect the quotes for him, wouldn't you think that you'd hear through the grapevine, hey, your best player just said this about his injury status? Somebody, a coach, your wife, your buddy who texts to you? Right. <laughs> Isn't there something here? Somebody in your life who will say that to you? Come on. Come on now. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so it just really, like, if you're summing everything up, uh, I feel like this debacle would do a particularly good job of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're correct. Um, Do you think that there's... How do I put this? Is there enough... Is there enough here for Cespedes to file a grievance or anything like that against the Mets? Or do you think that just to keep things peaceful, he won't do that? Uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if it went down that road. Just I, He's going to get paid no matter what. And, 
you know, whether or not he gets another significant contract after the one he currently has uh, will depend on how he comes back and then how he plays upon his return. So I I don't think he would rock the boat on it uh, over any of this stuff. But you never know. You know, I, I would just guess no at the moment. You know, he's getting the surgery, which sounds like is what he wanted. Uh, and rightfully so. Yeah. Well, what also happened since we last spoke was uh, the Mets traded Jay Reese Familia to the Oakland Athletics for a pair of minor leaguers as well as a million dollars in international slot money. Um, neither you nor I are the minor league experts that some of the folks on our site are. But just sort of from an overall um, return perspective, do you think the Mets did all right with this trade, did poorly with this trade, or did well with this trade? Uh, I would say poorly. Yeah, I know some people would probably be even more emphatic about it than that. It, it just seems like... It, it just seems bad you know (laughs) i I mean maybe it's totally fine and given the market the way it all plays out maybe it looks like oh okay they they just kind of do what everybody else did but uh based on people who know more about the minor leagues and prospects than i do uh and their reactions to what the mets got and what other teams have gotten in their returns it seems pretty bad yeah you know I, i think it'll be easier to have this conversation after the deadline, when we see what teams got for players of similar ilk, you know, I don't know if Zach Britton is necessarily a comparable player to to Jerry Familia in uh, at this point in time. You know, it, it's always tough to tell with, especially with with relief pitchers. The market is so volatile and can change so quickly. But it seems like Britton commanded a much greater return than Familia did, even though. I don't think there's. I don't think the difference in return is equal to the difference of quality of player. Um, but again, we'll see at the deadline sort of how how other rental relief pitchers went for, and we'll see if the Mets can uh, can flip that into something, or, or rather, if, if the Re- if the Mets got fleeced in this deal, or if they flipped it into something potentially useful. I mean, I think that you know, on the optimistic side, I've heard. That there is, you know, there is some, there is some hope for major league playing time for both of these players. Not like they were trade, not like familiar was traded for, uh, you know, for just double A filler or something like that, you know. Um, but again, it just seems like a small return for a guy who saved ninety seven games over two years just a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's sort of underestimated here is what Familia is as a pitcher. Uh, you know, I know he's had not a completely healthy season, um, you know, so that factors in. But, you know, this, and it's a guy who has been really, really effective. And, you know, going forward, I would not be shocked if the A's got uh, – he could end up being the best get. Um, you know, a lot of that will depend on what other pitchers get traded. Uh, and that's not a knock on – Brad Hand or Zach Britton. And, you know, I know Britton has a really long track record of being just excellent. Uh, but with where these guys are now, it wouldn't be totally shocking if Familia on the A's had the best outcome. Uh, right. 
you know, just in terms of performance going down the, the stretch and, uh, you know, if the A's get there into the playoffs. That's certainly true. Um, now that Familia's time as a Met is officially over, what do you see his legacy as being as a Met? Do you do you think he will overall be remembered positively, or do you think the World Series and the, you know, much more importantly, domestic violence dispute will be the things that people remember about J. Reese Familia as a Met? Um... I don't know. It's it's a tough call. I mean, I guess it depends on... I, I feel like the thing people remember the most, just based on previous examples of Mets fans remembering things the most, will, will be imperfect performance in the World Series. And, you know, that, that, that season was excellent for him. He was excellent earlier in the playoffs. Uh, you know... He was even fine in the World Series. He, quote, right. blew three saves, but only one of them was really his fault. Right, exactly. He didn't get a lot of help, but I, I feel like knowing Mets fans who twelve, oh my God, we're getting old. Uh, twelve years later, <laughs> uh, will still harp on Beltron not swinging. I'm sure, you know, they will. If there's a way to find the negative moment to remember with a player, uh, they'll do it. Mets fans will do it, no matter how good the player is. And, that, you know, maybe the exception is that Piazza, you know, people look, like consistently point to the home run that he hit, uh, you know, in the first game back from the postponement of baseball following 9-11. Um, you know, that, that might be an example of uh, the opposite of that. But, but that might also be that, like, the overall national narrative is that. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's easy to fall into that. Because everybody says that versus a Met fan isolating a moment. Right. But, you know, hey, in a few years, a Met fan might be like, yeah, he made the Hall of Fame, but he never won a World Series. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as if he could have single-handedly just, you know, taken down the Yankees. Uh, He tried. He did. He did. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, um, I just when talking about this sort of stuff, I, I always try to not sound too. Um, I don't know what I'm looking for is, but you know, I wish the Mets had released him after the domestic violence dispute, just because I don't want to root for a guy who does stuff like that. You know, I I, I, don't, I don't want to root for anybody who is who is violent unnecessarily, especially towards a loved one. Uh, especially towards a spouse or a child, that's just, you know, that's, that's beyond the pale for me. So on, on one hand, I wish that they never brought him back after that. On the other hand, I think that he, not for that reason, like, you know, uh, I, I think we all have these people in our lives, like my, my dad and my father-in-law both are pretty pessimistic Met fans, and right. they both hate Familia. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he was arrested for domestic abuse. It's all about, you know, they see him as inconsistent or whatever it is. And I think he's the type of pitcher that, for whatever reason, got the tag as being incon- inconsistent or underproducing, and he will be judged more for that than for the legitimate reasons for which he should be judged, unfortunately. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, are you? Uh, do you have any strong feelings about the A's one way or the other? Uh, 
No, I mean, fun in the sense that, you know, they're not supposed to win. Right. But otherwise, no. Uh, you know, the, the American League is really just, I hate the Yankees and everybody else is all right. <laughs> um, I think I hate the Red Sox, too. Uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't used to. Yeah, yeah, it's fair enough, but... I think it's more just the Red Sox fans I'm friends with. Right. Or, or rather, the Red Sox fans on the periphery of my friend base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you certainly aren't the first person. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, like, they've had enough, you know. They've yeah. had the best stretch for sports fans, you know, to have all four teams win championships, several of them multiple times in the span of 15 to 20 years. Uh, you know, there's no complaining. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair position to take. I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I recently heard somebody say that, because I, I essentially posited this idea to a friend, like, you know, haven't they won enough? And he was like, well, we didn't win for however much. I was like, well, what, we? Like, you're 28 years old, whatever it is. Like, in your lifetime, the Red Sox have won, have won more World Series than any team other than the Yankees fan base can claim. Like, you, you don't get to talk about this. You shut up now. Your team has won <laughs> three times in a decade. You shut up now. That's it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, no, I am, I, I've always kind of had a soft spot for the, uh, for the A's. I don't know why. Maybe my, uh, my younger years watching the Bash Brothers or something. But, uh, you know, that would be a fun story from the West this year. Uh, since, since the Mets are not making the playoffs, I'm really just hoping for the NL East to not do well. Yeah, I mean, we you know we talked about it a little bit on the show too. Uh, my preference remains that the Phillies win the division because I will always hate the Braves the most. Uh, you know, the Nationals right now are at a spot that looks like they're contemplating selling uh, going into the trade deadline, which is unheard of based on the expectations. They were they were not only the consensus pick to win the division, but it, nobody even thought it would be close. Right. Uh, yeah, the- and you know, I wish it was the Mets making them look bad, but. I'll There's settle for other teams doing it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's really weird. It's especially weird because as as we've started full disclosure, we started recording this once before and my recorder stopped working. So we mentioned this when we started, but the Mets look like a totally different team today than they did two weeks ago. <laughs> uh you know, Conforto was hitting, Rosario was really hitting, um you know, everybody's looking a little bit better than they were before. Jeff McNeil's been brought up as Dribble Cabrera just uh, just smoked a, a, his like you know third or fourth extra base hit of the day. It seems like man, they are just uh, they're looking pretty decent right now, and uh, this should not change anything with who they're going to trade. But this is our last show before the trade deadline. So Chris, who's not going to be a Met next week? That's a Met this week. Uh I'd say it's Dribble Cabrera. I think they do trade Wheeler. Um, who else? I I get that like things can happen in August as well, but everybody's already off the hook for the uh, for the contract. Uh, Jose Bautista to me seems like a guy that not that they're going to get anything significant for him, but you know if I'm if I'm a team and I have a, a spot on my bench that I could use a hitter and Bautista's hit the way he has with the Mets, I'd I'd, I'd send you some. You know, some guy 
from like single <laughs> A, a single A bullpen. You know, nothing crazy, yeah. but I, I'd send you a guy for that. Um, and the Mets should take a guy for that. Yes, but because yeah, it, there's no way Batista is on the team next year. So get right. anything you can for him. And I saw a reference today to them, you know, not wanting to get rid of him since Cespedes got hurt. But what's the? Who cares? I mean, they already subjected us to Matt Decker being in center field. Right. Yeah. Exactly. For no reason. Uh, who we we don't care. Like if Bautista will net you anything, just do it. Let him go play for a contender. You know, it, like little things to try to build goodwill, so that you know the next guy who's coming in and looking like, oh, my, maybe I want to be a Met. Uh, I know they're gonna insult my personal character on the way out, but you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, they'll uh, you know they'll do right by me and send me to con- to a contender before they're like, oh, that guy was a prick. We we couldn't stand him. Um, uh, yeah, I've Mets. fully bought in to all the things that people complain about all the time. <laughs> that I was like, ah, I don't know, do they really? Do they really? And now I'm just like, they messed with Cespedes, and I'm just like, yep. They do. They, they they do it all the time. They suck, and they need a real like reset button on how they operate. So, so you think they're actually going to trade Wheeler? Uh, yeah. I, I keep flip flopping w- in my head. I would bet, and I mean, maybe it's just my personal preference. Uh, I get it. I get what people are like. Ooh, this is like. You know, there's some stuff that we're seeing here that's changed that indicates that Wheeler can be great and all that. I just do not trust him to stay healthy. You know, this is a guy who who only came close uh, to throwing 200 innings once. Didn't even do it that time. And then, and even that season is by far his highest in innings pitched. Right. So to me, if you say to a team, you get you get the stretch run with Wheeler plus next year. Uh, and you want to give up a real return for that, sign me up, you know, because I just don't want to play this game again. That Oh, let's go into the winter and go, oh, this time, really this time, all the pitchers are going to be healthy. I'm sick of that game. You know, if, 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 if they had, if all these guys were durable and it's just that the bullpen and the offense were terrible, I'd, I'd be much more in favor of like, all right, well, at least you know, you know, you only got to fix two thirds of the team instead of all three parts. <laughs> and I'd be more open to this, like keep Wheeler. You, you know, he's he's really coming to his own. Like even if Wheeler had been a, you know, 180 innings every year guy with like a 4.5 ERA, and then you came into this year and he's like, ooh, what's this? What's he doing? I'd be more into it, but injury prone pitcher who seems to be at his peak performance wise, um, I would trade him. So knowing how my predictions go, he'll probably win a couple of Cy Youngs in like <laughs> two or three years. But right now in Milwaukee, I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm with you. I, I think if anybody is looking, if anybody's offering a real return for him, you have to just take it. You have to, you have to bet on him being, what he's been this entire time, and that is, you know, a, a pitcher that is that shows flashes of brilliance but is often hurt and, you know, has trouble finding the strike zone at times and throws too many pitches and all of that. That's the guy you're likely going to get over the long haul. 
So if somebody's going to give you a, a nice return now, you take that return and you walk away before they realize what they've done. Um, that said, I I think just from watching him pitch lately, he has looked quite good. It's been fun to watch him pitch. And I like watching pitchers who are fun to watch pitch. And so from a game enjoyment standpoint, I like to see Wheeler stick around. Um, we actually have an email about this from our friend Matthew. And uh, he says, point blank, I am against trading Zach Wheeler. Quality, <laughs> quality starts. I remember when it first started and it was defined as three earned runs given up in five in- innings pitched. Wasn't it six innings pitched, by the way? Yeah, I think it's always been the same. Six, yeah. six innings, three, but... Uh... Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But yeah, sure. I, I think I think it's always been the same. Yeah, but he said, uh, here I was thinking, yeah, but with the Mets offense, three runs and the Mets lose most of the time, simply because of their lack of offense. Therefore, two runs given up in five innings pitched actually does give the Mets a chance to win. They still lose, but they have a chance to win. Using that stat, two earned runs over five plus innings, Wheeler is three and one and has 10 quality starts and 19 games started. For someone coming off Tommy John surgery and rehab, this is really good. Um, yeah. I, uh, thank you for the email, Matthew. Uh, I appreciate that position. And while I do like, I like watching Wheeler pitch, I, I just think at this point, the Mets starting pitching is the least of their concerns. <laughs> Man, the Pirates are looking terrible tonight. Are you watching this game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Pirates yeah. don't look like a team that just won 10 or 11 games in a row and got itself back into the wild yeah. card mix at all. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was nasty. Um, you know, I uh, I really think that Wheeler is not going to be the piece that will make or break the 2019 Mets. So you have to you have to take a flyer on him if someone's going to give you if someone's going to give you like, like you said a real return, go for it. If they're not offering much, there's no harm in keeping him. He's going to be pretty cheap next year, etc. Um, but I think I would trade him. Would you be surprised if Mesoraco gets traded? Uh, not surprised. I don't know if any other team's going to want to do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, no. He's, I, he's certainly I cooled be. off as of late. Yeah, yeah, you know. I don't know. Nothing would surprise me at this point. And uh, I'm trying to think who else has been talked about. I mean, I think that the ship has sailed on the DeGrom or Syndergaard trade, right? Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A- any any gut feeling about Matt's? Uh, I mean, is he good enough that anybody's going to want to trade for him? It's an excellent question. I don't know. I, I like I, I get what he is capable of and what we saw early in his career, but um, you know, you look at his stats from like the current season and last year, and it's just kind of like eh, I don't know. Like it's. Maybe maybe I'm giving him too hard of a time, but no, I, just... I don't think you are. Yeah, I mean the I fact mean, that he's left-handed helps a bit. People right, tend and to you... to value lefties more than righties. Right, and you have this whole uh, you, uh, whether or not it holds up statistically, but you have this whole sort of perception that like oh the lefty who's you know matches twenty-seven, the lefty who who gets to be like twenty-nine, thirty, figures it out, and then is just you know, the best pitcher ever, you know, that, that's it. People like to talk about that. Like the, the late maturing lefty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
I don't know. I, I, I just, maybe it's even, maybe it's emotional and not rational. Uh, but I, I'd like to think it's rational, but like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm done with pitchers who cannot stay healthy ever. And if other teams want to give up real prospects for them, then, you know, sign me up. I'm going to piss you off right now. Okay. Then why aren't they treating Syndergaard? Ah, there you go. Because he's better than the other guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we're at a point that pitching a full... It, yeah. Yeah, I can I can twist my, my, my angle on that a little bit. Like, at least until the lat injury, he was fine. Matt's has a very long history of not being healthy. Wheeler was a little more, you know, Tommy John comes up and that just knocks him out for much longer than average. Right. You know, Matt Matt's has a long history of a whole bunch of things going wrong and keeping him off the field. Wheeler's a little different. Um, and then, you know, yeah, Cindergard. Sure, you got a point, but... Uh, <laughs> He's just, he's so much better than them. Uh, I would not trade Zinnergaard. Don't, don't get me wrong. Right. That, that is not what I'm advocating for here. It's right. It's just. Uh, so under my rules, you're allowed to get hurt if you're really good. Okay. <laughs> if you're just kind of like, oh, you're good sometimes and you're always hurt, then I can, I, whatever. Fair enough. Uh, so the, the same Matt that sent that past email sent another email, and uh, it, it's a long one. Uh, but basically, he talks about some players that he thinks the Mets might move. Uh, he mentions uh, Nimo and or F- Nimo Flores, uh, Conforto, and uh, let's see. I guess he wants to keep Nimo Flores and Rosario. He's not sold on Conforto, um, and Conforto's having a rough year. I get that. Um, but he's he's finally turned it on a little bit lately where, you know, it's like, ooh, is this, is he back? You know, we know he's right. capable of being great, not just good. And, right. uh, yeah, there's a flash of it right now. I yeah, hope and, it sticks for the whole, ha- like, second half. And he didn't have a spring training. I know I keep saying that to people, but that really does matter. There's a reason there is spring training for people. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> um. I could see the Mets trading Flores in the next couple of days, potentially. Yeah, sure. Um, that would you know, bum me I out, mean, just just like emotionally. You know, I I think it's right. probably a smart baseball move, but I want to see Flores as a Met forever. And I'm not an expert on Friends, but I assume there's <laughs> at least one or two like breakup episodes of the show. <laughs> it's it's probably called like the one with the breakup. Yeah, yeah. So you know, somebody's got to edit. They they have to make like a Wilmer Flores version of that. Somebody should record a sad like a minor key version of the uh, theme song for when he's <laughs> traded. Uh, <laughs> um, you know we haven't talked about the fact that uh, that the uh, the Mets called up Jeff McNeil. Oh yeah yeah wait can I, I say one, one more thing about the Friends theme song? Sure, <laughs> they are some weird lyrics to be in like a major. <laughs> Like, uh, what your 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 job's a joke? You're broke, or what is it? I have no idea. 
Well, I know you're broke and your love life's DOA. I know that's part of the lyrics. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So it's like... I've never paid attention to them. (laughs) And it seems like you're always stuck in second gear. It may not be your day, your week, your month, or even your year. Right, I know that part. Yeah, yeah. A minor key version, just playing all that minor, seems like it's the goddamn theme song to the Mets. The one with the shitty ownership. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, sorry. That's all right. Jeff McNeil. Yeah. It's, uh, hey, finally, good for him. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm glad that the guy who is only a second baseman two weeks ago is now, you know, getting a start at third base. Even though the Mets have two guys in the infield who should be playing third base over him? Yeah, the whole... I, I guess three guys, technically. <laughs> I don't know. What what do they do? Did they not, like, did they just miss when email came out? Were they just like, oh, no, we're not going to do that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, You would think that having Cabrera play third would actually be good for his trade value. Right. You're, you're highlighting him in a different position. I just, I don't know. Do you ever get the feeling that Mickey Calloway has no clue what the fuck is happening? Oh, yeah. Like, every time he speaks? Man. You called it, I have to say. Yeah? (laughs) Like, early on, I don't know if it was in spring training or if it was early in the season, you said, and I don't know if you said this on the air or off the air, so sorry if I'm blowing up your spot off the air here. No, 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 not at all. I know what you're referencing, so not at all. Go ahead. You said something along the lines of, like, he doesn't answer questions, that's going to get real old real fast, and it's going to make it look like he doesn't know what he's doing. Or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Because and I think like, I was in the room once in spring training, and he got real snappy about something that was like, whoa, whoa where did that come from? I think that's what it was rooted in. But I remember saying that. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll take I'll, I'll take a victory lap right now. <laughs> um, is he the Mets manager next season? If they really hire a new GM who who's like not part of the triumvirate, uh, I would think no. I know it's going to take some convincing to get ownership to pay a second manager, you know. But if they really do bring in somebody who who gets some baseball independence, and I, I know that's a pipe dream, but you know, if they want to give somebody, hey, you're the GM, what do you think? Uh, I would assume the new GM would want to bring in his own manager. His guy, right, yeah. Yeah, and and if you're going to give somebody a GM platform and try to make it look like they have any independence, then Callaway is the casualty here. Yeah. Did you, you know. see... Uh, I, I'm going to try and be somewhat cagey about this. Um, the Mets website that oftentimes gets criticized for being in the pocket of ownership... Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I probably have a guess. Okay. They published something today or yesterday, one of these days, saying something along the lines of the perfect alignment for the Mets is to have Omar Minaya as the like head of baseball operations uh-huh. and have Rico as his GM. And spent like maybe a thousand words arguing at this point. Yeah. And... Uh, Let's just say some of the reasons were pretty suspect. 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's a it's a situation where where not being on board with that isn't even meant to be a criticism or an insult of either of those two guys and right, right their capabilities. If the problem is that ownership has meddled in everything, then what better way to make it look exactly like that than setting up baseball operations to be two Mets lifers? Yeah. You know, and I, I don't I don't say that 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 phrase isn't an insult, but, you know, guys who have been around that ownership for a long, long time, um, you know, I mean, anywhere, if you've had a longstanding relationship uh, professionally, you know, with with people, uh, whether you're the supervisor or, or the opposite, um you know, it's got to be harder to to break with, like, oh no, 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 leave me alone, let me run the team, <laughs> you know. So that that to me would send the absolutely worst possible signal uh, about what their intentions are, and that doesn't mean you have to fire those guys, but you know, the the kind of role they play should be determined by the GM and not somebody else. I, I mean. Again, it's all a dream world. I don't expect the Mets to even try to make it look like they're doing something, you know, different. They can, <laughs> maybe they can hire an independent expert on some other topic and <laughs> talk about that. And I will. One thing I'll say in Mickey Calloway's defense is that they really treated him like a major, major story and hyped him up. And, you know, man, to see. To see how just relaxed and comfortable Terry Collins looked in St. Lucie this year, <laughs> it, it says it said something, you know. Like he, he like oh, I, I think he probably will always greatly regret not winning that World Series, but I don't think he was really all that bummed out, you know. Maybe maybe when he first got the news, but to be like, yeah, I don't have to do this every day anymore. <laughs> all right, sounds good to me. Um. So yeah, yeah. It's um. It's gonna be a really weird off season, and uh, I think the only thing that essentially can save Callaway's job, if there's a new GM, is if the Mets play more like they have the last uh, week than they did the first half of the season, and if somehow the team finishes strong. You're going to see a lot of people say that, you know, that once the injury bug was out of their system, that Callaway was able to get the most out of this team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, arguments like that are nine times out of ten bullshit. Right, right. But you know, but they're they're somewhat well trod, convincing bullshit. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah. Any other closing thoughts before we get to the uh, trade deadline? Uh, no, I just I hope we have a lot to talk about next week, and it would be fun for them to make a trade of one of the guys we discussed for a legitimate pro, uh, prospect. You know, somebody who you can look at and go, you know, that that guy's in the Mets top ten. Uh, you know, somebody you pay attention to. 
I don't expect it to happen, but <laughs> but I mean they're in a spot. Everybody who's on the table with all the latest uh, trade rumors, go ahead, trade all of them, do the best you can, and if it doesn't work, then at least you tried. But there's no point in keeping anybody on an expiring contract right now. To uh, to quote a, a a band that you and I both like, the best you can is good enough. So, you get rid of whatever you can, man. Hey everybody, this is Steve Seiper, and I'm back to go over our Money League Players of the Week. And we just finished Week 14 now which was July 15th to July 21st. And the Las Vegas 51s are 47 and 53 for the season. And that puts them in last place, but surprisingly, they're not really that far back behind El Paso. Only six games. So a winning streak on their part and a couple of losses on the part of the Chihuahuas. And then suddenly, somehow, the 51s are back in the thick of things. Dinkinson Rumble Ponies are 46 and 51. And that puts them in fourth in the division and nine games behind the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and I don't think they're going to be making up that deficit, especially since the New Hampshire team is such a loaded team with that infield. St. Lucie, um, they are 11 and 17 in the second half, and that puts them in fourth in division, which is five games behind the Charlotte Stone Crabs. Columbia Fireflies are 12 and 16 in the second half, and that puts them also in fourth in the division, and only three and a half games behind the Greenville Drive, so that could be made up. Uh, Brooklyn Cyclones, they are 18-16, and 16, and that puts them in third in division, three games behind Staten Island, and three and a half games behind the Hudson Valley Renegades. The Kingsport Mets are 15-14, which puts them in second place, three games behind the Elizabethan Twins, and the GCL Mets are 16-12, and 12, which puts them five games behind the GCL Cardinals. <clears throat> so this week... Our pitcher of the week is Columbia Fireflies right-hander Tony DeBrow. He pitched one game, and he went seven innings, allowing two runs on seven hits. He walked one, and he struck out ten. So, DeBrow did not make our Mets top 25 prospect list this past winter, but I did rank him. He was on my own personal list at 19, and I know that I will be ranking him higher next winter, assuming that he continues pitching like he has. And I think that I'm very clearly the high man on DeBrell when it comes to, you know, Mets prospect people. But in my opinion, when he's on, he's good as really any of the top arms in the system. Um, when you put him and Justin Dunn side by side and you look at their stuff, they're actually pretty similar. And he, DeBrell compares pretty favorably. Dunn has a fastball to some low to mid-90s, tops at around 96, you know, gets plenty of life. DeBrell's a fastball, tits and load, mid-90s, tops about 94, and it doesn't have that much life, but it does have a little bit of sync to it. Dunn has a low to mid-80s slider with late sharp break, and that flashes above average to plus. DeBrell has a low 80s slider with late sharp break that flashes uh, average to above average. Dunn has a firm mid to high 80s changeup. It flashes average at best. DeBrell has a high 70s, low 80s changeup that flashes average to above average. And then Dunn has a kind of get-me-over 11-5 curveball in the high 70s. It flashes about fringe average. 
and DeBrell has an 11-5 curveball in the low to mid-70s, and that flashes average. So the biggest difference between the two of them is that while Dunn has fringe average command, DeBrell has below average command. In the 16 games that he started this season, he has not walked a single batter just once. In two starts, he's walked just one batter. And then in the remaining 13 starts, he's walked two or more batters. So when DeBrell is finding himself a bit hittable, all those free batters, uh, all those free passes to batters are not helping the situation. Now, the reason for the control problems stem from a little bit of effort in the delivery um, and a couple of assorted mechanical flaws. One thing is that his arm circle in the back, you know, when the pitcher's reaching back right before he throws, he has a slight stab, which means that when his arm is coming behind his back, um, he's kind of extending his arm quickly. So when he does that a little too emphatically, it could kind of lead to control problems when it jerks the body just a little bit right before throwing. Another thing that he does is when he plants his stride foot, he strikes the ground, basically pointing it between third base and home. Optimally, when a pitcher is planting his his leg, his plant foot, it's pointing towards the uh, home. So landing the way that he does, it makes it difficult for his hips and his shoulders to rotate, and that cuts short basically the the body's natural momentum in its carry through, which leads to control problems, and it could even lead to injury issues. Try to picture that in your head and even just do it. When you land with your leg crooked like that, your momentum kind of stops suddenly when your arm when your leg is pointed and it puts pressure on the ankle and the knee. So imagine doing that in earnest, really hard throwing for, you know, 75 to 100 pitches. It's going to take a toll on the leg and knee. So Dubrell arguably could have been pushed a little harder this season, given that Kennesaw State, which is where he gradu- where he was drafted out of, it's a Division One school, not the best, but it is a Division One school, and he was a semi-polished college arm when he was drafted. And I'm a little surprised that the team didn't promote him to St. Lucie, but given that they promoted Anthony Kay and David Peterson and Joe Cavallaro, I guess it might just be because they didn't want to completely disrupt St. Lucie's pitching rotation and Columbia's pitching rotation by just moving too many people. But if that is the case, DeBrell does have more upside than any other pitcher on the St. Lucie Mets not named Anthony Kay or David Peterson. So giving guys like Joe Cavallaro, Gabby Yanez, or Blake Taylor precedence over DeBrell is a little bit puzzling. But, um... You know, he's putting up good numbers, so it might be that they just want to keep him with with the coaching staff that they have down there for a little bit more time. So, we'll see. And now, our hitter of the week is Binghamton Rumble's pony catcher, Tomas Nido. In six games, he hit 435, 435, 696 with a double, a home run, a double, a triple, and a home run. And Nito scuffled with the Mets at the beginning of the year, and then they sent him back down, and he's quietly been putting up solid numbers. Uh, he had a quick cup of coffee, cup, quick couple games with the Vegas, Las Vegas 51s, but he spent the majority of his time in Binghamton, and in 38 games that he's played with them, he's hitting 286, 307, 463. And he spent the majority of his 2017 season with the Rome Ponies last year, 
and he hit 232, 287, 354. So it's good to see the improvement. But if you dig a little deeper, there are reasons to be concerned. Most notably is the fact that Nito's walking at only 2% rate. He only has drawn three walks in 153 plate appearances. That's down from the 7.4% that he posted last year. It's down from the 5.1% rate that he posted in 90 games with St. Lucie in 2015. And it's even down from the 3.6 rate that he posted in 86 games with the Sand Nats in 2014. Nito is a very BAPIP-dependent hitter. Uh, this season, his BAPIP is 336, and he's hitting, like I said, 286, 307. Last year, his BAPIP was 255, and he hit 232, 287. And then the year before, uh, when he won the batting title with St. Lucie, the BAPIP was 344, and he hit 320, 357. So he's a very BAPIP-dependent hitter, and he has a lot of swing and miss in his bat. So it's pretty important that he does draw walks so he could reach base at, you know, even just a palatable, palatable level. One thing also that I noticed is that he's pulling the ball a lot more this year. 49.6% <clears throat> of his hits are pulled this year. 24.4% are being hit up the middle. And then 261 are being hit to the opposite field. So it's roughly 10% more um, balls that are being pulled as compared to last year. Um... He is hitting a few more, very slightly more fly balls with this new pull-heavier approach, but they aren't translating into home runs. They are, however, translating into extra base hits. Through 38 games, Nito has 15 doubles. In 102 games last year, he had only 19 doubles. And then in 90 games in 2016, he had 23. So he's on the pace to set a career high in doubles. Now, Nito has had trouble harnessing. He has above-average power, and he's had trouble harnessing it during in-game situations because of his swing. So it'll be interesting to see if this little uptick in doubles and then slight downturn in home runs, if it's just kind of statistical noise or if it means something. He could be, on purpose, shortening his swing a little bit and not selling out for power in order to basically control his bat, control his his barrel... And that would result in better contact and more doubles over more swing and misses and more runs. But if nothing else, even if the bat does wind up being not that great, he will always have his defense. And in terms of receiving and throwing, Nito is a slightly above average catcher. He's a bit stocky, but he does move well. He's pretty nimble behind the plate and he knows how to frame a pitch. His pop times are about major league average, and he does have an above average arm. It gets pretty good carry, but it is a little inaccurate at times. And he is a leader on the field. You know, he chats a lot with the pitchers and infielders um, during games. You know, during in between outs and in the dugout, all those people seem to respect him. And they enjoy working with him. So that profile alone should give him plenty of years to, you know, plenty of rope to prove himself in the years to come and as is said catches are weird and they don't have normal developmental paths so it could be another i'd say three years before suddenly nito figures it out so those are our minor league players of the week and i'm steve saipa and i will be back next week with more players of the week on amazing avenue audio Hello 
Amazing Avenue community, Allison McCaig here with your first rendition of the mnemometer and the degrometer of the second half. Um, so let's start with Jacob deGrom, who obviously pitched in the All-Star game, so we'll review that really quickly. Um, he replaced Max Scherzer in the third inning of the game, um, and he was tasked with facing the heart of the um, American League order in Mookie Betts, Jose Altuve, and Mike Trout. Um, he got Betts to fly out to center and Altuve to pop out to third, but then he gave up a solo home run to Mike Trout to make it 2 to nothing American League at the time. Um, but he quickly rebounded and struck out uh, J.D. Martinez to end the inning. Um, all things told, it was a really solid performance, given the fact that uh, Major League Baseball seemed to have reduced the baseballs for the All-Star game, given how many um, home runs there were in the game overall. Um, and Mike Trout's the best player in baseball, so, you know. Real recognize real. You can't really get mad at DeGrom for giving up a home run to Mike Trout. It happens. Um, so the, his first start back from the All-Star break came on Monday against the Padres. Um, he pitched eight innings and he gave up five hits um, and three runs, but only two of those were earned. Um, two walks and ten strikeouts. Um, so he pitched, you know, brilliantly again, um, but the Mets lost three to two and he got the loss, um, which is unfortunate. Um, putting him at 500 for the season, which is a travesty. Um, so Overall, on the season, as I record this on Thursday morning, July 26th, um, he has pitched uh, 131 and a third innings. Um, he has a 1.71 ERA, a .97 whip, a 2.28 FIP, and a 4.97 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Um, obviously, fantastic Cy Young-worthy numbers still on the year. Um, his 4.9 Fangraphs WAR is third in baseball among pitchers and first in the National League. Um, um, and his 6.1 baseball reference war is second in baseball among pitchers. Uh, first is Aaron Nola with 6.2. Um, so then let's move on to Brandon Nimmo. Um, he should have been an all-star, but he wasn't. Um, it seems like he was emerging from his slump he was in um, after he um, got banged up with a pitch on his hand um, and hurt his pinky finger recently. He went into kind of a slump after that. It seemed like he was coming out of it when he hit that walk-off home run, um, but he's kind of back in a new slump now in the second half, unfortunately. Since the All-Star break, he's hitting only 188 with a 98 WRC+. Um, he has three hits in his 21 plate appearances since the break, uh, which are two singles and one double. He has two runs scored, an RBI, two walks. Um, and he's back to striking out a ton, which is the uh, most alarming thing. Um, he has a 42.9% strikeout rate since the All-Star break, which is obviously not what we want from Brandon Nimmo, who's a, a leadoff hitter. Mickey Calloway has even dropped him in the order to 7th recently in the past uh, couple of days, um, which stinks, um, and has Ahmed Rosario leading off, um, which is kind of weird. Uh, so, but overall, um, Nimmo's, uh, numbers on the season are still very, very good. Um, he's slashing 249, 373, 477 with a 136 WRC plus, um, in his 332 plate appearances on the season, he has 13 home runs, 50 runs scored, 31 RBIs, and seven stolen bases. Um, his 2.6, uh, Fangrass Wars is fourth among NL outfielders still, um, and he has uh, two baseball reference war. Um, so that's it for your first second half um, edition of the Nemometer and the Degrometer. Um, I will be back in your feeds next week with another rendition.
well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. Please go to Apple Podcasts, to Stitcher, to your podcatcher of choice, and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. That really does help us out, so we thank you in advance for it. You can also get the show directly from blogtalkradio.com and uh, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. So go to AmazingAvenue.com, check out all of our news, our game recaps. Everything we do on there is, uh, I'm just going to call it great, <laughs> because I'm a part of the site and I'm proud to be a part of the site. But no, in all seriousness, we've had some great pieces lately. Uh, Chris mentioned Allison's piece about the suspicious situation. That is a must-read. You can also find the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Allison is at Petite PhD. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. So next week, the trade deadline will be passed. We'll know who's a Met and who's not a Met. And we'll be here to talk all about it right here at Amazing Avenue Audio. And so, until next time, let's go Mets. (laughs) 